G'day, I'm Rowan Mackey, and I'm joined by my dad, clinical psychologist Chris Mackey, and this is Psych Spiels and Silver Linings. G'day, Dad. How are you going today? Good, thanks, Rowan. And how about yourself? I'm going well, although I must admit, I've been quite tired this week, Dad, and I, I couldn't work out why. And I realised yesterday, being a Tuesday, as we record this on a Wednesday, Daylight Savings was over the weekend, and I just completely missed it. So I've just been slightly extra tired this week, and it, it took me a couple of days to work out why, but it's good to get to the bottom of it, Dad. Yes, I actually had a couple of extra sleep-ins as well. I didn't do the cold water swimming as much this week and actually it's not quite so cold at the moment. It's gradually starting to turn but still around 13, 14 degrees, cool enough to get those benefits we talked about in a recent podcast. Well, uh, oh, I'm, I'm jealous for your sleep-ins, Dad. I think I had a 7am webinar this morning, so I've been up and about at them this morning, but uh, it's good to hear that uh, it's been me out of bed of an early morning, so... Dad, I'm looking forward to today's episode, which we've called Enriching Our Relationships. So, Dad, what are we going to be talking about today? Okay, so we're going to be talking about some principles of enhancing relationships and drawing a lot on the work of John and Julie Gottman, who are wonderful therapists, couple therapists, and they've done an enormous amount of research over decades at looking at what enhances relationships. And where it was a real turning point, their research is up until that time, a whole lot of the emphasis on, for example, marital therapy was about dealing with conflict. And as Martin Seligman described, the founder of positive psychology, he said a whole lot of couple therapy, of marital therapy, was about helping couples fight better. A lot of the emphasis was on dealing with conflict. Well, one of the really good things about John and Julie Gottman's work is they've highlighted a whole lot of things that people can do which enhance the positive pole of relationships. So enriching relationships, looking at the positive and building that. And, well, no surprise, that actually also puts people in a better position to be able to have the kind of dialogue that can also help deal with conflict. So it's not ignoring dialogue and ways of dealing with conflict and communication but there are other things the Gottmans highlight that we'll talk about today where you can enhance that positivity in your relationships and your connection. Well I like that emphasis that the Gottmans do have on the positive side of things because you know it's interesting as someone who's you know I'm I'm 29 I'm single as well dad so this would be interesting I don't necessarily feel like an authority to talk on marriage but uh, I can certainly pass on some of the great information of the Gottmans but um I think when we, we hear about marriage in a modern context, quite often it's a negative context that we hear it in. Like, for example, you hear about how divorce rates over, I believe, the last 25 years have doubled or something like about two in three marriages end in divorce at the moment. So there is almost this negative connotation, even just around, say, something like marriage at all. And I think we're even seeing maybe less people express a desire to get married at all. And I wonder if part of that is maybe a lack of a confidence or less of a maybe sense of a benefit in a long-term commitment that maybe would have been there, say, 50 years ago. So I think it's really interesting to look at some of the stuff by the Gottmans because it is more in that positive context of what we can get out of a, a relationship and having that connection with someone. It's not necessarily about, say, the negative side of things, as you say. Yes, I think expectations have changed a lot in terms of relationships and what people hope to get from relationships. So if you go back certainly 40 or 50 years, if people were quite dissatisfied with their relationship or their marriage, they might think, well, I've made my bed, now I have to lie in it. 
And that was a common expression that people would use. Also now people are living longer. And that makes a difference because if people are living 10 or 20 years longer in adult life at a different stage of life where there might be lesser demands on child rearing or work, then that means that people are going to be thinking of what kind of lifestyle they would like to have later on. And it reminds me of something that Esther Perel, another wonderful relationship therapist, described. She described that in adult life, many people are going to have around about three long-term relationships, sometimes with the same person. I think that's a very interesting way of putting it. It conveys that maybe these days people do have different expectations of what they would want from a relationship, also different stages of life. And people these days are living long enough that if they're quite dissatisfied, maybe in their 50s, there might be quite a lot of life left. And so there's much more divorce that happens at that time. But there's also this notion that if we live a certain amount of time also, we're going to change. Everyone's going to change and evolve over that time. And especially probably since the 1970s, 1980s, certainly a lot more interest in people developing their individuality and being able to assert themselves in different ways and be able to be themselves. Well, that means that there are going to be necessary tensions at times in relationships if one partner's looking to grow in a somewhat different direction from how they'd maybe seemed before. And to enable that, that means that each partner has to be able to accommodate some difference in their partner as well as ways of looking at being connected. So I think that's a very interesting notion that people are going to tend to have different phases of their relationship even if they're together and so it might be worthwhile looking at what kind of things can we do to help enhance the quality of our relationship also at different stages over time. And I wonder as well, Dad, if something that's relevant is, for example, how like, like gender roles have changed a little bit over time. Because, like, of course, there's so many you know great benefits that have come out of the way that gender roles maybe have become a little bit more fluid in recent times. But I wonder if maybe it means that we can't be as prescriptive with a relationship and almost have this kind of apply all where it's you know the where the fella in this set of circumstances behaves like this and then maybe the lady behaves in a certain way in a situation. Like even stuff like, say, work, for example, 200 years ago would have been a little bit more prescriptive and so the idea of maybe a relationship could kind of fall around these a little bit more defined roles. But these days I wonder if you need a little bit more communication just because there is maybe a little bit more room for us all to be a little bit more individual within a relationship in terms of... You know, maybe there is a little bit more fluidity in terms of, say, some males can take on some more female aspects of a relationship. And of course, you know, I'm being super kind of general here in the way that I describe this, but I just think it's a little bit more fluid these days than, say, it was, you know, 50, 100 plus years ago. And potentially that requires a little bit more communication at times. Doesn't mean that, you know, it's it's not achievable or anything, but um, potentially you do need to be a little bit more active in certain circumstances to ensure that there is that almost parallel growth and you're not necessarily growing apart as you do both develop as people. Yes, as time's gone on, it certainly seemed that different kind of gender roles have been less rigidly defined and people have a greater expectation, quite rightfully, of having more choice and flexibility in relationships to be able to accommodate people's individuality further. And I think it's relevant that even going back around 100 years, Jung would have talked about at midlife years, one of the challenges being and 
helpful guidelines in life almost for men at midlife to develop more of their could call it feminine side, nurturing side, be more in touch with their emotions. And for women, there would be that interest and that healthy development of a more assertive side of their nature. And so whereas Jung talked about this 100 years ago, it helps to have some kind of blend in personality characteristics, certainly the world has become more complex. There are more choices that people have in terms of their work roles, their life roles, even what kind of relationships people are in people's sexuality there's so much more freedom and acceptance these days even people's gender identity so yes it's important to really be able to encourage and accept the otherness of one's partner that's one thing that Esther Perel highlighted that in healthy relationships you're going to have this sense of connection but also allowing for the otherness of a partner and certainly our whole cultural expectations have shifted that way that If we see it these days that a person is being quite restricted in a relationship, it's almost a cultural value that it encourages someone to separate if they're in a situation where they've been unduly controlled or limited or feel they can't be themselves so much. But you go back 50 years or so and it's quite a different thing. People were sometimes just expected to stay in a relationship even if it was quite unsatisfactory. Well, I think that is a, a certainly a positive development that people do have more choice if they are in that circumstance where they're not in a relationship that's beneficial to them. But I suppose I don't even necessarily want to frame it this way in terms of like a, a challenge that it presents because I think it's just a, it's a net positive thing that we shouldn't be looking at sort of any negatives or challenges that something like that presents. But I, I suppose... An extra element to that is just what we were saying before in terms of maybe about being prescriptive. Like, it seems to me that, you know, there's relationships, for example, can take on, you know, all kinds of shapes and, you know, even at times sizes, Dan, these days in terms of the different kind of relationships. And I think that's something to, you know, be celebrated in terms of, you know, we can all bring our individual differences to a relationship, but... It's not as if there's a prescription to kind of fix all. It's not as if, you know, we can go, regardless of what circumstances we're in, oh, if we spend, you know, one hour per week together of quality time, then that's just going to take care of everything else. You know, people are going to be in a whole range of, you know, work circumstances and, you know, there's just going to be practicalities to even how much time you can spend together and all this sort of stuff. Like, it seems that there's certain things that you can do to sort of help and maybe foster connection, and and I believe we'll get into some of these in a moment, but at the same time, it's not as if there is that kind of recipe for everyone that's going to work across the board, and we say, you know, if you spend X amount of time together, or you you know aim to spend a certain percentage of quality time together, things like this, they're going to help, but it's not as if we can just rely on that as, I suppose, a recipe to fix everything. Yes, there's basically one core principle that I would think underpins just about any healthy relationship and about only one that I can think of. And it's a very general one that the Gottmans highlighted, that a healthy relationship, like a a good marriage, a healthy relationship is based on a deep friendship. And I think that's a wonderful way of putting it, that notion of a deep friendship. So look at the ways that we connect with each other in a positive, everyday a common regular kind of way it's a lot about the little things that happen like when you're friends with someone a whole lot of your interactions just even little interactions there's that positivity to it and so that's one of the things that the Gottmans highlight this notion of a positive sentiment override now how are we going to have that positive sentiment again if we act in ways that strengthen the friendship 
upon which a relationship is based, that's a really good clue for a whole lot of the other more specific suggestions that they have. Well, I really like that emphasis. And I suppose the other aspect of that that stands out to me is that, you know, like obviously we're talking about a relationship in terms of a romantic relationship in this sense. But many of the principles that we will speak about today, of course, refer to friendships and other relationships even within a family and that sort of thing. Like it doesn't necessarily need to be an intimate relationship that we apply some of these aspects to. Yes, I think that's a good point, Rowan. As we go through this and we're talking about couple relationships in particular, but a whole lot of these principles are going to be relevant to other kind of family connections and relationships as well. Well, let's get into maybe some of the things that we can do now because I like the way that these maybe have respect for our individual differences in terms of like we're going to look at some things that we can do to strengthen our relationship. But, you know, it's not as if they're going to be specific and it's a formula for success that either does or doesn't work. Like there's going to be some of these that we're going to be able to individualise in our own way. But, Dad, you were telling me off air about the two angles, I suppose, at which the Gottmans like to approach relationships – What are those two different angles that they look at it as? Okay, and look, I suppose I'm grouping the different things that they highlighted, the different kind of suggestions and strategies for enhancing relationships into a couple of different broad areas. And these broad areas came to mind in terms of basic needs. And this follows on from a podcast we had recently on schema therapy when we talked about the work of Jeff Young and how he talked about a whole lot of personality difficulties that people would have would be when certain basic needs weren't met. And what struck me when we look at the kind of basic needs that Jeff Young referred to is these are the kind of needs that can be served very well in a healthy relationship. And I think that these needs that can be served well come in two different categories. One category is to do with connection. So several of the needs, the basic needs that Jeff Young referred to, are connection, trust and intimacy. So this is how we relate to each other. It's about our level of attachment, if you like, how secure our attachment is, our positivity towards each other, that kind of connection. And then there are other kind of basic needs which we might relate a little bit more to our individuality. And so these are things like autonomy, self-esteem, self-expression and also realistic limits, setting realistic limits on behaviour. Now this seems to relate more to the conflict dimension in relationship or potential conflict, meaning if you get two people who aren't robots, they're not exactly the same, we're going to have different wishes or intentions or priorities at different times and that means that any healthy relationship as well as any relationship is going to have some level of challenge or conflict, meaning people don't always want the same thing all the time and it's going to call for some level of compromise and some level of adaptation and some level of allowing the other person to be an other, as Esther Perel describes it. And so when we look at some of the suggestions that the Gottmans have, I think that they don't just help support the connection, the trust and intimacy, but they also look at constructive ways of dealing with conflict or difference. And that gets back to the autonomy, the self-expression, the realistic limit side of things. So yeah, we thought we'd divide what we talk about today into those two different areas, the connection and the moving toward each other in different ways, but also accommodating our differences. 
Well, like those ways that Jeff Young categorises it, I think I said the Gottmans before, but of course it was Jeff Young who uh, who came up with those needs. But I like the way that it almost seems to get at the kind of grey nature, for lack of a better term, of relationships in terms of it, it not being black and white. Like, it seems to address a couple of ends of maybe some important spectrums that we almost need to balance within a relationship. Like, obviously, the connection that we have with the other person, but also to what extent we're our own individual person within that relationship as well. Like, these are, you know, important things to kind of keep in mind. Like, also, you know, to what extent do we, for example, prioritise our own needs whilst at the same time maybe sacrificing elements to the relationship for the benefit of both of us. Like, it's almost like these are on either ends of a spectrum and the way that Jeff Young categorises them seems to, I suppose, account for either of those ends. And, like, if we go back to that hot and cold tap analogy that we spoke about a couple of weeks ago with the schemers, like, it seems that looking at some of these aspects, like, we can have a little bit more of a, say, a hot tap where we need a little bit more connection and maybe a little bit more of a cold tap where we need to sort of prioritise our own individual needs for a little while. Like, I like the way that he categorises these because it seems to encapsulate the, I suppose, many forms a relationship can take. Yes, and I suppose that side of balancing interests, well, if we get back to a deep friendship again, we're not only going to want something that's really good for us, we're going to want the situation to be good for our friend too. We're going to wish well for our friend and that their life goes well in different ways. But there is something different in terms of an intimate relationship in terms of the sacrifices that people might make. At times there is a different level of give and take in an intimate relationship. And as we've talked about before, one kind of principle that seems to really help there is to recognise that when someone's making some compromise or sacrifice in a relationship, rather than giving in to the other person, seeing it as sacrificing to the relationship, which is a higher order than either of the individuals. And that gets back to, I think, a fundamental point made by Joseph Campbell, the American mythologist who talked about in a healthy relationship, people have a sense of sacrificing to the relationship rather than just kind of giving in or sacrificing to the other person. That helps having a sense of the relationship is an entity in itself worth strengthening through the kind of things we're going to be talking about. Well, certainly, I like that, and I suppose has that emphasis almost on like the sum of the parts is greater than the whole in terms of if both people are sacrificing to something, well, they're both going to get something out of that that they wouldn't have been able to get on their own. So I like that. But, Dad, if we now look at, say, what we can do to foster our connection with our, our partner or those we're in a relationship with, what can we do to foster our connection? Okay, so, again, the Godman summed this up in the phrase... Nurture your fondness and admiration. So anything that helps you admire and recognise strengths in your partner can help. But one of the main ways of nurturing your fondness, it's the simple little things that people might do each day. So they also use the expression, turn toward each other rather than away. Now what that means is noticing when your partner is looking for your attention in some ways. If they're looking to engage in conversation with you, if they would like to do some activity with you, if they're asking you to do something to help. Now, in healthy relationships, people are going to tend to respond to what they call bids for attention. Looking to start a conversation with someone is like a bid for their attention. Asking someone to do something for you is a bid for their attention. 
even sometimes giving someone a compliment in a way that you're looking for that to stand out and really show you giving something to your partner. Just imagine if someone's looking to compliment their partner and they feel that their partner's just ignoring them or not paying any attention to them or haven't even listened or heard them despite them really making an effort to, again, convey something kind or do something helpful. So a lot of it is about noticing those positive kind of things that one's partner does and particularly looking to do that oneself, acting in ways that are kind, acting in ways that are giving, giving a compliment. It could even be a gesture or a smile, but noticing those little kind of ways that people are relating in a positive and friendly manner. Well, I think that is so important. And I heard some research that the Gottman's presented, and we might even chat a little bit more about this next week, Dad, when we speak about, for example, what we can do in a relationship when we come across some difficulties. But one of the things that the Gottman spoke about were they termed it successful and unsuccessful couples. So, you know, in terms of couples that stay together and are content in the long run, but I believe that couples that are quote-unquote successful turn towards each other 86% of the time that they make those bids for attention or connection. And then unsuccessful couples only turn towards each other only 33% of the time. So like, it's a huge marked difference. And I suppose what stands out to me about that, like it's on a, a much lesser scale than, say, the schemas that we spoke about a couple of weeks ago. But one of the things that stood out to me in that episode was maybe the ease at which we can develop certain narratives about ourselves, And if, for example, we're getting external cues from a loved one time and time again for, you know, for example, what we're saying is not important or it's not interesting, well, we're likely to internalise those criticisms in a way where we can potentially turn them back onto ourselves. So you can see how over time it's not necessarily just one little comment that someone makes or one little, you know, I'm, I'm looking at my phone and, you know, I'm watching, I'm in the middle of a video right now and I don't want to necessarily respond to your comment, which might seem quite trivial, which, you know, at the time can just seem like a little thing. But over time, if that builds up, like that would just create so much distance not even in terms of just that little sort of moment, but also even in the narratives that we tell ourselves about being in a relationship with that other person. Yes, and then people could fall into habits. They can fall into habits of ignoring each other or even not noticing those positive gestures that their partner gives. And I'll just mention a background thing here as well. As a rule of thumb, the level of closeness that people tend to have with their partner, so their marital partner in a relationship, tends to be similar to the distance between their parents. Now, what that would mean is if someone wants a close relationship, but they recognise that their parents' relationship was somewhat distant, then that's going to probably take an even more active effort to apply some of these principles and behaviours we're talking about, some of these ways of going about things. But the point is also there's something we can readily do about this. If we want to get closer to our partner or invite our partner to get closer to us, it is partly about this positive energy we bring into a situation. And look, I'll mention as well, I know that you listen to this as well, there's a wonderful podcast that I know that you've also listened to recently. It's a Brené Brown interviewing the Gottmans in a podcast I think called Unlocking Us, but it's about them talking about their new book, The Love Prescription, where they talk about things that people can do in seven days 
to bolster their relationship. Now, seven days sounds like a ridiculously brief amount of time, but as they said, it's something to get the ball rolling. And when people do positive things for their partner, positive gestures, it could be making a cup of tea, inviting them to join you for a walk, giving a compliment, celebrating a win together, all of these things enhance your connection. Well, I think that's so true. And yeah, look, I I thought it was a great episode. I'll put that up on the podcast page today, which you can access at psychspeels.com.au. But I suppose, yeah, when I was listening to that, what stood out to me was I used to live with a couple dad who I'm still good friends with to this day. And they're a married couple and and we lived together when they were married. They're American and they were traveling the world. And basically, since I believe they were even before they were married, they would go along to couples counselling classes, like the two of them. And they've, you know, not to my knowledge, really had any, you know, troubles in their relationship. But I always found it hilarious. For example, being in the kitchen with them. First, I was almost a little bit like, this is quite, you know, over the top in some ways. But after, you know, spend a little bit of time with them, you kind of realise, oh, it's, it's actually really authentic and nice. But just the degree to which... I suppose when they made those bids for connection and attention with each other, they would, I suppose, validate them. And it really stood out to me as, you know, there was a lot of validating going on. And, you know, for example, it would be stuff like, you know, it'd be, oh, I'm I'm just behind you, darling. And it'd be like, oh, no worries, I'll just move out of the way for you. And it was almost this, like, kind of sing-songy kind of almost dance that they had going on where they were just always concerned about I suppose validating those moments where the other person turned to them for whatever reason that it was and so you know they're they're still going strong and sort of they've been traveling the world for the last couple of years and now have a kid and this sort of thing and I almost hold them up as a bit of an example now of friends in relationships because although I've you know got lots of friends who've been in long-term relationships They almost just had this kind of admiration for each other that just exuded kind of from each other and at all times, you know, it it wouldn't be far from the surface, I suppose, in terms of that, I suppose, surface level love that they showed each other. Yes, that's a good example of people really looking out for each other and acknowledging each other and noticing each other. And it reminds me of something that the Gottman said in that recent podcast that I thought was quite remarkable. If they compare happy couples with couples that aren't so happy, one of the differences is with the happy couples, they'd notice about 100% of their partner's ways of showing some positive gesture for them. They'd really notice that, they'd record it, they'd acknowledge it, so to speak. It would make a difference. Whereas for the couples who weren't so happy, they might only notice about 50% of their partner's positive gestures or bids for attention, those positive kind of things that people would do, showing an interest in the relationship. Well, imagine that. Imagine if... Each partner, when they're looking to put out that positive energy, 50% of the time it doesn't land or it's ignored in some way. But it's a striking example of something that people can do to improve their relationship or at least their sense of connection that doesn't take any particular time at all. Just be open to or look out for those positive gestures that your partner makes towards you. Just be open to noticing that register that and that's something that people can start doing virtually immediately that doesn't have to be rocket science that doesn't have to be too difficult that doesn't have to be climbing a mountain just being open to noticing your partner's positive gestures
Well, I think when I yeah think think back to my friends, I think they're very much at that stage, maybe a little bit down the line of having cultivated that positivity on top of positivity, and you know there's this kind of chain reaction that builds up. But I think that's so true, and you know obviously that that's the case with positivity and and say stuff like positive comments and and fondness and thinking positively about the other person but the other aspect I think that's important to highlight is is curiosity too because it seems to me with something like curiosity the more curious you are the more there is to be curious about if that makes sense in terms of it's not as if it's a kind of finite path that you get to the end of it's almost like the more curiosity that we show in in someone or or something but the more curiosity that we show in someone, the more that we learn about them, which opens up more that we're, you know, interested in and curious about. And so I wonder if it's almost like the, the principle is that, well, I suppose it's, it goes both ways. Like it's the same with positivity and negativity. But with both sides, it builds up over time in terms of something that might only seem like a, a small trivial act, but I suppose it, it feeds another act, which feeds another act. And if these are, I suppose, overall positive then it helps to, over time, create a a much more positive environment than it would have been had there been more negative comments in there. Yes, I like your emphasis on curiosity with that and being open to our partner can surprise us and certainly being open to how your partner can keep on growing and their preferences and interests can change or develop further and noticing that. But when you mention curiosity, it reminds me of another strategy that the Gottmans highlight for connection. And they talk about the idea of love maps. Now, what a love map is an understanding of your partner's interests and preferences in different areas. Knowing things like maybe their favourite colour or favourite foods, uh, interests that they have, but also things that they tend to do at certain times of the week or in different kinds of situations. It's basically having an interest in your partner and noticing things about them. And that's one thing with intimate partners. They'll know more of these kind of details about their partner than other people will tend to know. So that's the thing. Anything that you do to show that active interest in the details of your partner's life, anything that shows your appreciation or understanding about what brings them joy, you know, what maybe fears they have. It might even be something in terms of stresses that they're facing or certainly secrets. That's the thing with intimate partners. We'll know more of those details and have that active interest. So developing your love maps. Well, I think that's a good little exercise, Dad, and it neatly gets us on to, I suppose, uh, looking at how we can maybe foster a sense of otherness in our partner as well. Because as you were describing that there, you know, one thing that stands out to me is that, you know, it's not as if all happy couples are very similar as people and, you know, if they're going to have too many differences, then that's going to lead to conflict and it just means that they're incompatible in the long run. Like, that doesn't seem to happen. So, I like that aspect of, say, like love maps and even, you know, say, for example, showing curiosity. Like it allows for the fact that the other person is going to be different from us in certain ways and they're going to have their own individuality that we need to respect and can, you know, be interested in and and find out about and that sort of thing too. So, Dad, what are some things that we can do to maybe allow our partner to be more fully themselves while still being respectful of the relationship and the connection that we have. Okay, so if we're looking at acknowledging the otherness of our partner, which includes allowing for differences, includes allowing for conflict. Look, one of the main things I might say at first here that helps to deal with otherness, we're going to talk about ways of dealing with conflict, 
but it also helps to have some shared values in the background. Now, that's part of our connection and trust and intimacy to have shared values. But one of the shared values can be having the shared meaning or value about allowing for differences, about seeing a relationship as being enhanced by each person not having to be like a cookie cutter of the other, not having to have exactly the same preferences, not having to share the same things on their love maps, allowing one's partner's love map to be different from your own. In other words, their preferences, their fears, their interests to be different, but having an interest not just in getting a fair bit of what you want from life and your relationship, but wanting that for your partner as well and recognising that allowing for compromise is part of that, dealing with conflict is a part of that. So, okay, how are people going to do that in a healthy way? I think one of the main things is we'd often put it in terms of having relatively good communication, but what does that mean? I think a big part of it is communicating with each other in terms of a dialogue And it reminds me actually when the Dalai Lama visited Geelong many years ago and he talked about his principles for a positive or healthy life and he emphasised this word dialogue. Now what does this mean? Well it means talking or expressing oneself and listening but it's also allowing each person to have their own point of view and their own responses. I really like that word dialogue. So when couples connect with each other and look to communicate and describe what their interests or preferences are or their concerns or they're looking to address conflict in a particular area, it's having that notion in mind, dialogue. Now, a lot of that is to do with active listening. And this is where a lot of traditional marital therapy, couples therapy would have focused. It would have been focusing on listening. But the attitude behind the listening can be really genuinely being interested in one's partner's preferences, interests, and being curious, like you were saying before about curiosity, being curious about what that person, what your partner prefers, what they want in life, how they would like things to be, because then different kinds of opportunities might open up. But also with listening to one's partner and your partner being able to express themselves, in turn, that means there's also that opportunity for conveying your own thoughts, wishes, preferences, fantasies concerns about whatever. So that's part of the intimacy as well, being able to be open with each other, but with that genuine interest in one's partner, where they're coming from and allowing for that otherness. So dialogue, that back and forth, and really checking in with each other to see that you have a fairly accurate appreciation of what the other person's looking to convey. That's one of the key things that helps with that mutual understanding as well as a foundation for dealing with conflict. Well, I like that emphasis on dialogue because it seems to have that aspect of it almost being an active approach. Like that was one of the things that came from that podcast with the Gottmans of Brene Brown. I believe the Gottmans refer to love as a verb rather than a noun in terms of it's not just something that's passive that we either do or don't have. It's actually something that we foster and cultivate and work on a little bit over time as well. So what were some other things that we could do to cultivate maybe the integration of each of our individual priorities? Okay, well, I think one of the main things is to start off with an attitude of give and take and to recognise there are going to be some kind of conflicts that come up or some different interests or preferences that each partner might have that there might not be some 
super neat solution. For example, different partners might have very different ideas of how they would most like to spend their holidays. Or also, people might have different ideas on how they would like their children to be raised in terms of one partner might have been raised in a particular religious tradition, whereas the other might be agnostic or otherwise raised in a different religious tradition. And so there's some situations where there's not just some kind of neat answer and there'll be a degree of compromise. But I think starting off with that understanding that you want yourself and your partner to be able to have their basic needs recognised in terms of autonomy. So each person has a right to a particular point of view or preference. Self-esteem, not just putting one's partner down because of their interests or preferences. Self-expression, wanting not just to be able to have your say, but wanting your partner to be able to have a say as well, but also realistic limits. Part of that is sometimes recognising where we do have a bottom line. And this is an example of dealing with conflict in relationships. As the Gottman said, it can help to resolve gridlock or overcome gridlock, meaning if there's some issues that tend to come up again and again and again, which people get stuck on. And here's an example of this. One partner typically wants to have holidays that might cost a bit more, but they want to, for example, go interstate or overseas for a longer holiday, whereas the other partner might prefer to go somewhere closer to home and it doesn't involve so much expense. So one partner's saying, look, you know, you're looking to spend too much. And the other one's saying, oh, look, you're stopping our fun. It'll be far better to go interstate, want to go to this tropical island or whatever. And then what's happening is people are getting stuck around, oh, how much we should spend on this holiday. Now, when people have a deeper interest in understanding what your partner really wants behind it all, sometimes you can see what is behind the person's preference. For example, the person who wants to save money and not have an expensive holiday, it turns out they were raised in a family where they were relatively poor and they're always concerned about whether they could pay school fees or other kind of expenses. And so that person might be anxious about whether there's enough money in the kitty for the future. Whereas the other partner might be concerned that as a child they never went to different places on holidays. They are often restricted. They didn't do as much that was fun. Now they're an adult. They want to do different things that are more fun and also they want a feeling of freedom without being too restricted. They might have had somewhat controlling parents and they are seeing their partner as trying to save money as really trying to restrict them from having fun. Now, if they look at what's behind each of their interests, one's about security and financial security and the other is about fun and freedom. Well, maybe there's a way of having a holiday that's not so expensive, but by the same token, it still allows for some freedom. It might be, for example, going for a shorter period of time. Or it might be looking at certain investment strategies to be more confident that there is that financial security to be able to afford the longer holiday. Or it might be the person who wants the holiday talking about certain expenses can cut back in another way. The point is, if you see what's behind it, one partner's bottom line is it's really important to have freedom. The other partner's bottom line is it's really important to have that financial security, sometimes you can work out a compromise that works out that way. But it starts from having an interest 
in the other person's reasons behind it all. And so that's where you can get dialogues that can be very helpful. And that's where people can also get away from arguing over the kitchen sink, so to speak. You talk about these arguments that come up again and again and again. Often it relates to a deeper kind of concern or interest people have that's very important to them. And if you can get to the bottom of that and show that you care about your partner's deeper interest, that can help resolve some more intractable, repeated problems. Well, there's a couple of things that come to mind there, and it's something that might have even come up on a previous podcast before, but what comes to mind for me is there's, I believe it's like a, a rhetorical device, I wonder if you'd almost call it, but it's something that came up in like an online debate that I saw on YouTube, these two people where they had a series of, say, four debates over four days. And what they would do to start each debate is what they called a steel man, where they would basically try and put the other person's, I suppose, points and arguments from the day before in kind of their own terms or certainly in terms that the other person would agree with and sign their name off and say, yeah, you know, that's the argument that I was putting forward. Both don't necessarily want to have the emphasis on arguments in a uh, in a relationship context, but at the same time, this idea of almost projecting back your idea of what the other person thinks at that time, or at least you know, I understand you to be saying this in this situation, because it seems to me that at times there can just be a straight miscommunication that happens, and you know, you might think that the other person is saying something, and you know, potentially you've got your own sort of maybe perceptions that have maybe sort of coloured it in a certain way to allow you to kind of hear a particular emphasis but that emphasis might not even always be there from the other person and it might be something that we've picked up ourselves so it seems to me that exercise of almost going through exactly what the other person said I suppose just to get where they're coming from and, and put things in their terms and even just to go to the effort and say look I, I'm I'm going to the effort of understanding where you're coming from and then you know I'm not looking to respond to anything until we've agreed that I understand where you're coming from and then you know we can progress from that I suppose point of mutual understanding. Yes that's a very good point people can have conflicts over what is just a straight out misunderstanding and if people aren't showing that interest in checking with each other then there's the possibility of people's perception of what the other person's saying persisting, even if that might be wrong. And when you think about it, it's actually pretty tricky sometimes for people to get a fuller understanding of what each other believes or wants in a situation because each person in a particular situation, a challenging situation, in a sense has to identify some of their feelings about that situation, their preferences and interests, then find a way of putting that into words well, even finding the situation or setting which is conducive to the other person being able to listen, then put it in words that are simple enough and clear enough, sometimes about complicated emotions or complicated situations, to try and make it comprehensible, then the other person has to be open enough to listen at the time, managing their feelings at the time, able to pick up on the language, comprehend what you're saying, and then make some kind of interpretation that's not unduly influenced by the person's own expectations or wants or interests. Like just describing it like that, it's actually a fairly complicated process. So taking the pressure off and recognising this is an opportunity to hear out more from your partner about how they see things, how they prefer things. And if that could be done in a respectful way, and especially without too much heat, 
So it's more like an opportunity where each partner is offering their perspective and also showing an interest in their partner's perspective and looking at some kind of understanding or potential compromise or at least getting more of an idea of where your partner's coming from, then that can enhance that aspect of a relationship that makes it more interesting, the fact that you are with someone who's different from yourself, but hopefully who does have that connection, that trust and a shared interest of being in a relationship and all the good things that that brings. Well, certainly, and I suppose the other aspect that, that comes from that, Dad, is recognising that you know, there is going to be times when you know, there's a lot of emotion in a situation, particularly when you know something maybe intractable has come up with someone that we really care about. And I wonder if maybe at those times it's recognising that, you know, I'm, I'm a bit overwhelmed in this situation, you know, I need to just go and send some golf balls down on the range just to uh, clear my head and, and sort of take some space from the conflict as well. Yes, and we'll talk about this more in the next episode about where people can get into difficulty with conflict because the Gottmans were able to identify the kind of reactions that people have and the patterns of behaviour that tend to predict divorce with a very high level of accuracy. And so this is often where people get stuck in their interactions with each other in negative patterns, drifting more apart from each other and how people deal with conflict going off the rails. And we'll describe the characteristic patterns of when things are going in the wrong direction to contrast some of the things we've talked about today. But the main thing that we're talking about today is those different positive ways that people look to connect with each other and then allowing for difference. With that mindset and recognising that that helps you both have also more freedom and autonomy to be individuals as well as being aligned and together with someone else, that's where you get more of that happy medium, even if it will involve routine compromises at times. Well, it's an interesting point, and I wonder if, you know, I think I was Seligman talking about that aspect of how couples counselling used to be about learning how to fight I wonder if maybe a, a more positive way of looking at it is well if we can learn how to compromise <laughs> rather than learn how to fight well that actually gives us a tool to work through some of that conflict rather than just maybe falling into the emotion of it all. Yes, and his actual term was learning how to fight better. But like you're suggesting, really what he was saying is really it's this focus on negative energy. It's how people are getting stuck and how they're getting caught in fights. How about we look at what enhances the positive pole, which is a lot of what we've focused on in this episode today. Of course, learning how to fight better. That's <laughs> a bit of a slip of the tongue there, Dad. But uh, but anyway, just to finish up, there's something that'd be worth mentioning, and we've actually got a video about this as well, which uh, you did. I believe it was for Destination Happiness, the TV show that we were involved in a couple of years ago on the love languages, Dad. So, what are the the five love languages? Yes, this is something that we find very helpful in couples therapy, helping people recognise that there are characteristic ways that people might express their love for their partner or show that positive interest in different ways, but there are also different ways that people prefer to receive love. And sometimes there can be a mismatch with this. And so let's look at some of the love languages. There are five of them. One is words of affirmation, so giving compliments. Now you get situations where one partner would just love to receive compliments, but their partner does not tend to give them. 
Now, the person who wants to receive that kind of affirmation might feel very frustrated. They might think that their partner doesn't care for them. But by the same token, they might not recognise that their partner's ways of showing love might be mainly in different ways. For example, their partner might be very good at demonstrating acts of service. So the person might think, well, why do you say it's like I don't care? I've been off working all week and I'm providing for the family. Or alternatively, someone can say, look at all the things I do around the home or all the things I do with raising our children. Like, doesn't that show that I'm really invested in our relationship as well? Now, the thing is, if people look to give in a particular way, but the other wants to receive in a different way, it can lead to frustration. Whereas if we recognise the range of ways that people can give and receive their words of affirmation, like compliments, acts of service, that includes work, child rearing, other constructive activities around the home, gift giving. Again, some people might be very focused on that, whereas others might not think about it so much or not even be fussed about whether they get gifts so much. So it makes a difference for different people. Then quality time. So how you spend time with each other, how much time and the way you spend that leisure time together. And then physical touch, which includes sex. Now, sometimes people will highlight one or two of those areas, excluding others or not noticing what their partner gives them. So in the first instance, it's worth noticing. Notice your partner's kind words, the things that they do, certainly gifts, the time they spend with you, the affectionate touch, but also to have a conversation about what each partner prefers or what they would prioritise, that can help each of you make some kind of adjustment. Oh, I need to give more compliments or just maybe if I do say more kind things or just show my appreciation more, that might help. For someone else, they might highlight touch Someone might talk about spending time together or someone might express how hurt they were when their partner forgot their birthday because gifts are very important to them as an expression of love. It's just recognising these differences that there can be and then making that effort to show one's partner love in a way that they tend to respond to whilst allowing for these differences. Well, I think it's a, an interesting way of looking at things. And the other thing that I found interesting about the love languages is like it seems that we have our own, I suppose, giving language and receiving language and they're not even necessarily the same as well. Like We could have, I suppose, a default way that we like to show and, and give our love but then at the same time we have maybe a different way that we like to receive it and maybe only going through these exercises we even realise that there's difference in some of those things. So I think it is a, a very interesting exercise to go through but... Oh, thanks for chatting with me about all this today, Dad. As you mentioned before, we do have another episode on this, which we'll be looking at some more stuff from the Gottmans and, and what we can do when we get into some difficulties in a relationship. But I will just mention as well, we've got the podcast page for today at sykespeels.com.au and up there we will put that Unlocking Us podcast with Brene Brown. Uh, I believe the love prescription was the title of the podcast because that is the title of uh, the Gottman's new book, The Love Prescription, Seven Days to More Intimacy, Connection enjoy so dad thank you for chatting with me about all this today i look forward to the next one good thanks rowan and hopefully like the gottman said in that podcast anything that gets the ball rolling for those kind of positive acts and noticing that more well that can only help